0: Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old-Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old-time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit ComicWeb.com for more information, or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features an episode of You Are There, called The Death of Socrates. The show originally aired on March 14th, 1948.
1: This is John Daly in Athens. Will Socrates escape? That is still the big question here in the capital of Greece on this dying day in the first year of the 95th Olympia. I'm standing before the door of the prison behind which the friends of the condemned philosopher, so the rumor goes, are urging him to save himself from drinking the poison hemlock. Socrates has only to walk out of that prison and board a ship to freedom in exile and the prayers of his friends and the hopes of his enemies will be answered. This dramatic situation, which is having significant repercussions throughout the Hellenistic world, is now inevitably approaching its climax. And in 30 Athens, from now, we'll notice... 399 BC, CBS is there.
2: Ancient Greece prays that Socrates will not die. CBS takes you back almost 2,347 years to that fateful day when one of the most enlightened democracies on earth trembled on the brink of a cup of poison. All things are as they were then, except for one thing.
3: CBS
1: is there.
2: CBS is there, produced and directed by Robert Louis Cheyenne, with Walter Hamden portraying Socrates in this broadcast, is based on authentic historical fact and quotation. And now,
1: Athens,
3: 399 B.C., and John
2: Daly.
1: Rumor that the friends of Socrates were in the prison, pleading with him to take his freedom. CBS has been here on the spot, attempting to verify that rumor. Should Socrates agree to save himself, it would be a simple matter for his friends to whisk him away through this sea of white tunics worn by bystanders only too willing and too eager to fulfill the hope of escape. We're directly in front of the prison door, but the brilliant red and orange of the setting sun is blinding me. And I'm not at all sure that I would be able to say for certain who came out of the deep gloom of the death house. The crowd here of some three or 4,000 men, women, children, and slaves is milling about me, cursing, praying, whispering in anxious groups. They know that when the sun sets, it will mark the moment when they may never again hear the voice of their beloved cross-examiner. His enemies, too, are anxious, for they're afraid. One of them has asked for an opportunity to speak to the public on our CBS microphone. He is the poet Miletus, Socrates' chief accuser at his trial. Miletus is not quite the most popular man in Athens today, and as a matter of fact, he's been hiding in the shade of the prison wall. I'm going to wave him over here now, the microphone. And it's just as Miletus feels. this crowd has recognized him. They're surrounded against him their fists, threatening, shoving implications. Women are clawing at him. Citizens! Citizens! Let Miletus speak! Let him speak. All right, Melitus, <laughs> what have you to say? Just one hope. With all good Athenians, I pray that Socrates will escape. Pray, but bring you, life, you who urged his death at the trial... It's I... true that I was the chief accuser of Socrates, but Socrates himself said I was of no consequence. You are nothing! I merely presented what some people have been saying against Socrates for 20 years, that he was a corruptor of the minds of youth and did not believe in the gods of the city. Quiet! Let me ask you, Miletus. Do you think Socrates will escape? I do not know. But if he does, he's just another poor mortal like all of us who's afraid to die. You mean you want Socrates to die? No! No! No, no all I said was that I'm not to blame. Blame the playwright Aristophanes. It was Aristophanes who first said that Socrates taught young men the cheap payment of their just debt, to deny the existence of the gods. I'm just a poor poet. Blame the rich playwright. Don't blame me. The poor poet Miletus has just blamed the rich and successful playwright Aristophanes for the death sentence imposed on Socrates. Aristophanes is at a CBS microphone with Ken Roberts right now in the Theater of Dionysus. He had agreed to make a statement for us, and as we still have no official news here as to whether Socrates will heed the counsel of his friends to escape, let's switch to Ken Roberts. This is Ken Roberts in the Theatre of Dionysius. The playwright Aristophanes is right here beside me. He heard what Miletus said, and by the smile on his face and the nodding of his head, I understand that he certainly would like to make a comment. Aristophanes? I take it that the poor poet Miletus was referring to my play The Clouds. Yes, the comedy in which you lampoon Socrates as an evil character who ran a thinking shop. Yes, the shop was called The School of Very Hard Thinkers. Aristophanes, weren't the graduates of that school adept at the alleged corrupt and immoral practices that Miletus mentioned? i be sure. But that was the comedy situation. And at that, it wasn't one of my better comedies. No, to blame a single player, not a very good one at that. For the death sentence of so celebrated a philosopher Socrates is preposterous. After all, I'm a playwright, not a hangman. But Aristophanes, Socrates himself said at his trial that your play contributed to the case against him. No, 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 no. He mentioned my play merely to brush it aside as of little consequence. Yes, but I... Sir, one of my severest critics measures the failure of a play by the amount of food eaten during a performance. When The Clouds was first offered 24 years ago, the trash collectors worked overtime. On the opening night, Socrates himself enjoyed the jolly lampoon of himself and laughed heartily at the caricature. He even stood throughout the performance to give the first nighters a better shot, should they wish to hurl a handful of ripe figs at him. I take it, then, that you're specifically denying Meletus's charge that your play was responsible for Socrates' death sentence. Oh, emphatically. The death sentence was imposed not by any mere play, but by the ignorant jury of 500. Socrates himself said that. What else would you expect of an uneducated majority who have rather an odd conception of democracy? What's your conception of democracy, Aristophanes? Well, it certainly isn't killing a man who happens to disagree with me. I believe with Socrates that the sovereignty of the people has become a sovereignty of politicians. Socrates also believes that government is an art and as such. It requires more training, knowledge and skill than any other. You cannot leave questions of politics and justice to chance, nor to the vote of the mob. And do you believe that the jury was acting as a mob? Of course. Five hundred men must decide a whole case in one day. And what may be momentary passion on one day may be passionate regrets on the next. And that passionate regrets may take another life. That's why Miletus is afraid. That's why he's throwing me to the mob. Thank you, Aristophanes. By the way, citizens, if you are hearing strange music behind our conversation here in the Dionysian Theatre, I'd like to explain that it's the flute player quietly rehearsing his part in Aristophanes' play, Lysistrata. CBS also has a microphone at the home of Plato, the distinguished young philosopher and friend of Socrates. Plato also had agreed to make a statement for us. We have nothing from John Daly of any news about Socrates... So, over to Plato's home and Don Hollenbeck.
4: (coughs) Our CBS microphone is at the bedside of Plato. The 28-year-old philosopher has been ill these past few days. He says he objects strongly to Aristophanes' remark about democracy being responsible for Socrates' death sentence.
5: Miletus is throwing Aristophanes to the mob. But I protest the manner in which Aristophanes is throwing democracy to the mob... If Socrates dies, and I pray that the rumor that he will escape is true, it will not be democracy that is to blame. <coughs> Our many wars with Persia and in the Peloponnesus have exhausted us in body and soul. Two out of every three Athenian men have died in battle. Other the fever of uh, fear runs high among us. We are confused, desperate. And so we seek someone to blame and sacrifice Socrates on the altar of our dying faith. <laughs> it is not our uh, jury system, as uh, Aristophanes charges, that uh, condemned Socrates. It is the prejudice of old men whose minds have been poisoned against him since they were children. The
4: old men you speak of, Plato, they are the jurors? <laughs> yes.
5: <Yeah. laughs> but they are merely the symbol of of old ideas that fear to be challenged, cross-examined, and perhaps exposed as no longer virtuous in our time. That is why the old men hate Socrates. (coughs) Socrates is like a gadfly on the backs of men. He forces them to cry out, Socrates, you make me acknowledge my worthlessness. He makes them say, I had best be silent, for it seems that I know nothing at all. And for that, he's hated. For Aristophanes is wrong. It he, is shameful. If Socrates dies, it will not be democracy that's to blame, but those who have lost faith in democracy. <laughs> Thank you, Plato.
0: We have
4: heard Miletus blame Aristophanes. Aristophanes blame the shortcomings of our democracy, and Plato blame our loss of faith in democracy but no one has come forth to say that Socrates was justly condemned for the alleged crime of atheism and corrupting the minds of the youth. In order that you may have a chance to form your own opinions, CBS has prepared a special transcription of Socrates' trial, which we will play now. The next voice you hear will be the recorded voice of Socrates speaking to the jury at his trial one month ago in the amphitheater.
3: Athenians, you say first, I do not believe in the gods, and then again that I believe in demigods. You might as well affirm the existence of mules and deny that of horses and (laughs) asses. Come here, Meletus. Now, um, is it not a fact? You think it very important for the younger men to be as virtuous as possible? I do. Well, come then, tell the judges who it is improves the younger men. Why, I... 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 <laughs> come now, you're accusing me of being the corrupter of youth. Reveal to the judges who improves them.
1: Uh, they... They. you
3: mm. uh, You see, Beletus, you have nothing to say. You are silent. Is not your silence conclusive proof you never gave a moment's thought to the matter? Come, tell us, good sir, who makes the young men better citizens? By the Lord. My intelligent friend, that is not my question. What man improves the young who starts with the knowledge of the law. The judges here, Socrates. Why, what do you mean, Miletus? Can they educate the young and improve them? Certainly. All of them, or only some of them? All of them. (laughs) By here, that's good news. There's a great abundance of benefactors. And uh, do the listeners here improve them or not? They do. And do the senators? Yes. Well then, Miletus, the members of the assembly, is it they who corrupt you, or do they all improve them too? They all improve them too. Then all the Athenians, it seems, make the young into fine fellows, except me. I alone corrupt them. Is that your meaning? Yes. Most certainly that is my meaning. Ho, <laughs> It's absurd to believe that only one man is the corrupter of all and that all the rest of the world is the improver of youth. <laughs> I see present here in the assembly many of the young men whom it is said I gave them evil counsel. us, call them forth to be your witnesses. Let them come forward and accuse me and support you. not one youth comes forward then let their fathers who have grown up and uh, are uncorrupted or their relatives come forward <laughs> no one you see Meletus, that's because they know very well i speak the truth and they know very well believers that you're a liar <laughs> Strange indeed would be my conduct, O men of Athens, were I to desert the command of my God to fulfill the philosopher's vision, to search into myself and other men, because I fear death. Men of Athens, I honor and love you, but I shall obey God rather than you. And while I have life and strength, I'll never give up the practice and teaching of philosophy. And whoever I meet, I'll say to him, Citizen of Athens, why do you care so much about money and honor and reputation and so little about wisdom and truth? Athenians, I believe in God as no one of my accusers believes. And to you and to God, I commit my cause to be decided as is best for you and for me. Then acquit me or not, but know I shall never alter my ways, not even if I have to die many times.
1: This is John Daly again outside Socrates' prison door. The recording you've just been listening to was a specially prepared transcription of Socrates' defense made at his trial one month ago. The prison door has swung open and Crito, Socrates' rich friend, has come out and with him is Zantippe, the wife of Socrates. Zantippi is crying. Wailing would be better. Crito has his arm around her shoulder. Behind Zantippi is a slave with a baby in her arms, the youngest child of the 70-year-old Socrates. Here they come, Crito! Crito, will Socrates escape? Will Socrates escape?
5: Escape? He must escape. What will become of me and my children? What good is it? Please,
1: please,
4: (laughs) Antippe, come away. Come away. No,
5: no. I've been silent all my life. and He has talked and talked himself into all of this trouble. Why didn't he keep his peace? Why didn't he stay at home? like a good father and husband. Go home. Socrates wants you to
3: go home. 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 He was
5: never home. He left before the sun came up and returned long after we were asleep. A he woman. never brought money into the house. All he did was talk, talk, woman talk. Woman, this is shameful. Oh. Have you no respect? Respect? Did he have respect for me? Did he care for me and my three children? Talk, talk. But I told him, Socrates, this is the last time you will ever talk to your friend. Go now, woman, go. This is as far as I'll take you. Never talk. Go, I say. Oh, we'll
1: that was shameful. And Antippe is going off now. The it's crowd is parting, letting her through. What is it, Cradho? What is it? See, does give a true portrait of Socrates. Socrates' mission in
4: life is to seek truth and not to seek the easy comforts of home and heart. His friends have provided for his family so that the philosopher might be free to inquire into the nature of knowledge.
5: Socrates is a
4: war hero, a veteran. Is this the best that Athens has to offer, a poor veteran who endured the hardships of war better than any lovable man?
1: As for his children, we will provide for them after Socrates is gone.
5: It is the matter of.
1: What, what do you mean by gone, Crito? Will Socrates escape or will he die? Come with me. But where? Where will we be go... and you will know? All right, I will. As Crito turns toward the prison door, the crowd opens to let us through. Zankippi has increased the tension here. His crowd is restive, confused, and still no answer to the all-important question, will Socrates escape? That bang was the door slamming shut behind me. It is being locked now. Crito is moving down the corridor in the deep gloom to which my eyes are not as yet accustomed. And now, Crito is beckoning me into a cell, a high-walled, rock-ribbed chamber. And, ironically enough, the slanting sun through the narrow window up there is shedding a rosy glow that seems to illumine and make of this chamber here a temple. There are four, five, six men standing by an empty couch, the prisoner's couch, I presume. Socrates doesn't seem to be here, perhaps... He has... No, no, Socrates is coming in now through another door and moving directly toward this microphone. He's going to talk to his friends once more.
3: My dear friends, your anxiety to save me is most valuable, if it be right. I am still, as I've always been, a man who will listen to no voice but the voice of reason. Come, then. Let us reason together on whether or not I should escape. If I run away to exile, where could I go? Will not orderly men and cities look askance at me as a lawless person? Is that true, sir, or not? Yes, it's true, Socrates. And you think life would be worth living in disorderly states like uh, Thessaly? What could I do there? I'd scarcely have the face to converse about virtue. But at least you could be with your children and your family, Socrates. What? Make them strangers to their own country? And the men of Thessaly, would they look upon the children of an escaped prisoner with good feeling or with contempt.
1: Then leave your children here, sir. Your friends
3: will take care of them. To be sure. But if they are real friends, will they not take care of them as well, whether I go to Thessaly or to the other world? Certainly, Socrates. Escape then and live. That's exactly what my friends have been urging me to do. But if I escaped and they helped me, they'd be committing a crime against the state, and for that the state would punish them. Their lands, their wealth would be confiscated, and they might be banished as well. How then could banished or impoverished friends care for my wife and my children? No. My dear friends, that is not the way. A man should be guided only by the knowledge that he is doing right, even though the consequences are death. citizen must obey the laws of his city or his city will perish. The law of Athens condemned me, Therefore, it is right. I perish rather than the city that gave me life. So, you see, my friends, the voice of reason tells me I have no choice
1: but to die. The jailer has come in with the cup of poison hemlock in his hand. he's he is trembling. His hand shakes as he approaches us.
4: Socrates I know I shall not find you unreasonable like other men. They are angry with me. They curse me when I bid them drink the poison because the authorities make me do it. I'm sure that you will not be angry with me. But with those you
5: know are to blame.
3: Friends, how courteous the man is. How generously he weeps for me. And the whole time I've been here, he has been constantly to see me and has been the best of men. And now, I wish to prophesy to those Athenians who have condemned me, for I am dying, and then it is that men have most prophetic power. I prophesy that as soon as I am dead, a far severer punishment than death will surely overtake my judges. They have done this thing thinking they will be relieved from having to give an account of their lives. But if they think by putting men to death, they will restrain men from reproaching them for the evil of their lives, they are very much mistaken. It is much better for you and much easier not to silence reproaches, but to make yourselves as perfect as you can. This is my parting prophecy... to those who have condemned me. Of you, my friends... I have but one request to make. When my sons grow up... visit them with punishment... if need be... and vex them in the same way... I have vexed you. If they seem to you to... care for riches or for any other thing before virtue. And if they think they are something when they are nothing at all, reproach them, as I have reproached you, for not caring for what they should, and for thinking they are great men when in fact they are worthless. If you will do this, I and my sons will have received our deserts at your hands. And now the time has come. I to die, and you to live. Whether life or death is the better, is known to God. To God only. Wait, Socrates. I think the sun is upon the hills. It is not yet set so. Do not hurry. There is still time. My dear Crito, by drinking the poison a little later, I think I shall gain nothing but my own contempt for so greedily saving up life which is already spent. State of death is one of two things: either the dead man wholly ceases to be and loses all sensation, or it is a migration of the soul unto another place. If death is like a sleep unbroken by any dreams, it would be a wonderful gain. For then it would appear that eternity is nothing more than a single night. But... with such gods as Orpheus and Homer, I am willing to die many times, if this be true. I pray the gods, my journey hence may be prosperous. That is my prayer. Socrates has lifted the fatal cup to his lips. No.
1: He is drinking the hemlock. It's impossible to describe. I can almost taste the poison on my own lips. And it's on the lips of all who are here, of all who are listening. It is Greece that dies, Greece that is dying, but Socrates will live as long as truth will live. And this fateful day in the first year of the 95th Olympiad will be remembered as long as men cherish knowledge above life itself. Athens,
0: 399
1: years before Christ is born,
2: Socrates dies. You have been listening to The Death of Socrates, another broadcast in the series CBS is There, produced and directed by Robert Louis Sheehan. The Death of Socrates was written by Joseph Bliss and Robert Louis Sheehan, and the role of the philosopher was portrayed by Walter Hamden, with Oliver Cliff as Miletus, Arnold Moss as Aristophanes, Carl Swenson as Plato, Esther Sondergaard as Zantippe, Charles Webster as Crito, and Philip Clark as the jailer. Next week,
1: Philadelphia, July 4th, 1776,
0: CBS is there.
2: This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: If only you could go back in time. Well, you could bet on winning sports teams, or stop World War II, warn the Founding Fathers of the problems of slavery, or save Lincoln from assassination. Evidently, CBS News figured out time travel, but instead of changing anything, they just pick turning points in world history and report the stories as if they were in the present day. In You Are There, CBS News will stake out a story, conduct radio interviews, and describe events in the present tense. Well-known newsmen of the time wrote or helped with the scripting of the stories to make it really feel like a modern broadcast. Well, modern for the late 1940s, anyway. This series is a pretty rare combination of genres for old-time radio programs. It's historical, not really fictional, but not really non-fiction, and all told in a fun and interesting style. The show went from 1947 to 1950. The show managed to go from radio to television, and in the TV version, none other than Walter Cronkite starred as the Anchorman. With this program, no matter the historical event, CBS News has the microphone and the resources to make sure that you are there. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.